Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke 15. If you're doing all right this morning, say hey. All right. Luke 15. So we're actually in the middle of a series in Nehemiah that I'm taking a break from. Uh, Because particularly, I have something on my heart to share with you this Sunday. Um, Out of the the book of Luke, chapter 15, um, if you need the page number, there's there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. I want you to grab that Bible, pull it out, open it up. Uh, to page 800 in case uh, maybe you've never opened a Bible. This could be your first Sunday. I want you to open. I want you to see what we're talking about. Um, and what's interesting about the passage we're talking about this morning is it's 100% scandalous. Oh, see, people are excited already. You know, I told you all last week you like drama. I told you. Now, now this... Well, we're, with this story we're going to read today, this is, this, is, this is the most epic of dramas. And I'll tell you, I used to, I've, I've heard this story a million times, and I think I've missed some of it. And so as, as I've been studying this week, um, what Jesus is about to do, hear me, what Jesus is about to do in Luke 15 is a game changer. It's a game changer for you. It's a game changer for me. And I don't want you to leave here and miss it. Now, I don't know if you, any of you have ever done anything wrong as a teenager or a young child and had to come home afterwards. I don't know. Maybe that's not you, but I can tell you that that has been me a couple times. And, 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 and you know that when you get home... It's not going to be good for you because of what you have to tell them that you have done. Um, Anybody else? Am I all? Everybody's like, "Oh, that's not me, Pastor." (laughs) I'm in church today. (laughs) Okay, all right. Well, we'll see where you're at by the end of this. Okay. Um, This passage, we're talking about the Father's eyes. What grace looks like through the Father's eyes. And many times, if you want to follow along, there is a, there's an outline in your bulletin. Um, the thought of coming home, we're having coming home Sunday, has mixed emotions for many. Some of us want no parts of going home. Uh, some of us grew up in home environments that weren't good. Um, and so thinking of coming home... Uh, Seeing mom and dad or seeing family that you haven't seen in a while because the last time you saw them, y'all got in a fist fight in the backyard. Oh, y'all have never done that? Okay, well, I'm just, I know who I'm preaching to now. It's fine. Now, for some of us, there's warm feelings about coming home. 
We think of our parents that are here and those that aren't. There's, there's, a, there's an acceptance, there's a love that just makes us feel like this is where I belong. I belong here. So no matter what state you're in, I can tell you um, that when you say let's go home, it could stir up some different emotions for you. Now, in order to understand the story we are about to read, which you have heard, if you've been in church at all, you've probably heard it at least once, okay? Um, but I don't want you to go ahead and make a bunch of assumptions about what today's message is. So, um, but to understand it, you have to understand verses 1 and 2. Uh, verses 1 and 2 shape how we look at this whole story of the prodigal son. Um, and so let's start out in 1 and 2, uh, chapter 15, Luke 15, 1 and 2, and let's see um, why this is going to make a difference. Ch verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now let's pause for a second. Jesus is preaching, okay? He is Telling people that the kingdom of God has come in him. I am the gospel. I am the good news. He's preaching the gospel to a crowd. And there are some people there that you need to know who he's talking to. Now, many of us have heard of tax collectors. Um, tax collectors in this day and age were a little different than the IRS. They still took your money um, that you worked very, very hard for um, but most people who grew up in church, have you ever heard of um, the tax collector that climbed up in a tree? Anybody know his name? Zacchaeus, right? Oh, we know the little song. And a wee little man was he, right? He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Jesus saw him up in that tree and said, you come down. I'm going to your house today. Yeah, yeah, you know that. That's what we picture when we hear tax collector, right, in a Bible sense. Now, some of you who haven't been in church, when I say tax collector, you're thinking IRS. Let me tell you how they're different. In order for you to understand the story that Jesus is about to tell, you have to understand the crowd he's talking to. And tax collectors, it wasn't just a bad profession. It wasn't just a situation where you made $40 and he came by your house and took 10, 20, 30 of it. Tax collectors were bad people. And I'll tell you why. In this time, in the first century, Rome, everybody say Rome. Rome was ruling the existing world. And now when I say that, now picture this, from England to India, Rome was ruling and reigning. Anybody from Texas? Anybody from Texas in here? Y'all know Texas didn't want to be a part of the U.S. for a little bit of time? Yeah. Everybody owns a shotgun out there. It's a dangerous place. They still might try it. I'm not convinced they might not try it. If Texas decided that they were going to leave the U.S., do you think the U.S. would have any problems getting that under control? No. Not in 2019. You're a couple helicopters and away from everything being under control. That was not the case in the first century. Now, how does Rome rule from England all the way to India? 
And I'll tell you how they do it. They do it with massive armies. Massive armies. Um, The cruelest of armies. It was hard to rule. And the reason he was able to fuel and fund these armies that kept the rule and reign from England to India was by taxes, by money. So these tax collectors would go around knocking on doors, hey, I need your money so I can fuel the armies that are keeping you hostage, that are uh, taking advantage of your wives and your daughters that are keeping you in place. Give me your, now we don't understand that in the U.S., because we pay our taxes, we might get a little refund, maybe. The older I get, the smaller it gets. I don't understand. I told Kirsten we need to have more babies. I was like, we need to fill the earth. So I'm not paying so much in taxes. Sorry, sorry, personal thing. Personal. Okay. So tax collectors were bad guys. And so when that tax, so when Jesus is preaching and hanging out in a crowd of tax collectors, Do you see why people were upset? I never got it. I never got why people were upset that he was hanging out with these people. But these tax collectors weren't just bad dudes because they took money. They were bad dudes because of what they fueled with that money. The Romans were so awful that when they would take over a town, the armies would come in, they would take the town, and then they would put up on poles people all along the road. They would crucify people, kill them, put them on poles, and line them up down the street. So that when visiting nations would come through, they would know who's in charge here. And these tax collectors were the fuel behind it. All of a sudden, tax collector feels different, doesn't it? Now, he's also got other people there. Notorious sinners. Now, if you've been to church any length of time, you might say, oh, yeah, well, there's sinners everywhere. You know, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. But in the first century, sinners were an entire class of people. They were people with deformities, people with um, uh, 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 Jobs with bad reputations, prostitutes, gamblers. Okay, so sinners were an entire class of people. And you see it throughout the Bible because people would ask Jesus about this crippled guy. They would say, hey, is it his sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be crippled? Okay, so, so sinners, it's not just like, oh, I lied once. Sinners were a group of people that were not to be associated with. And here's Jesus right in the middle of them. Well, there are, there are some other people here. If you go to verse 2, it says, This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So who was listening to this story? Tax collectors, sinners, and this group of religious Elite. Now let me tell you about these Pharisees. If you think you're good, these guys are better. You are JV to these guys' varsity. By the time they are like 13 years old, they have memorized, by memory, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. By heart. These Pharisees were legit. Now, 
Let's just be honest. With just a show of hands, how many of you have made it through the book of Numbers <laughs> without stopping and saying, oh, I know who you are. You do your Bible reading plan, right? I'm going to read through the Bible this year. You get halfway through Numbers, two chapters into Numbers. You're like, okay, I'm skipping to 1 John. I'm done with this. <laughs> I'll try again next year. <laughs> These Pharisees were better than us. Self-righteously. I mean, they, they could do things. They could check every box. And so with this crowd, as a matter of fact, the, the Pharisees, they went to the point that they, you could only take so many steps on a Sunday. Did you know that? On Sabbath. You, so they would stop walking on Sundays. Anybody up? Anybody down for that? Actually, yeah, I'm down for a nap after this meal. I'll tell you that. I'm not walking anywhere. They're going to have to roll me out of here. That's what's going to happen. Luke, get the wheelchair ready. Okay. Now, now that we know who Jesus is talking to, I want to jump into this story. I'm going to jump into this story. Down at verse 11 is where we're going to start. So if you've got your Bibles, if you don't, you can read it up on the screen. Listen to this. Picture it with me. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted, everybody say wasted, all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the entire land. A famine is just when they run out of food. Famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs, looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Now, take just a second and picture who Jesus is talking to. You've got these, you've got these notorious sinners. By the way, the baby likes my preaching. Y'all here? Yeah, thank you. At least I've got one amen section. Now listen. There were notorious sinners and um, just the tax collectors. Now they're hearing this and saying, man, that's me. What are they hearing when Jesus is preaching this? They're saying, I'm there. So what is this, what is this going to cost me? Um, uh, th this is me. And, th and they're probably sympathizing now with this young man that has requested his inheritance. He took off. He blew every bit of it. Anybody ever blown a bunch of money and then wish you had it back? I just told a friend yesterday, if I had all the money, my wife and child have taken from me. <laughs> I'm just playing. 
I wouldn't trade them. Not yet anyways. Okay. But what are the Pharisees hearing? Oh, yeah. That kid deserves something bad now. That's what they hear. You know why? Because they're good at checking boxes. So you have one side of this crowd that's saying, man, that's me. That's me. I'm that guy. And the other side, and let me tell you, let me tell you how you know if you're being too self-righteous. Can I tell you? Because when I start talking about things or, and I start preaching truth, you start thinking about other people. Ah. Yeah. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. It's fine. Look, it's okay. We're all a little too self-righteous from time to time. Because y'all come to church and you'll be like, man, he preached it today. I'm going to go home and tell so-and-so about what I heard at church because they need to hear it. Instead of saying, oh, that's me. Oh. We're so concerned with everybody else. And that's how you know you're too self-righteous is when you, you, said, you try and make yourself look better by comparing yourself to everybody else and everything they're walking through. When what, the, what this Bible weighs on is not others. It's supposed to weigh on you. You should feel the weight of this. So listen. So this is... This is what the crowd is hearing. Now, now this, this leads us to the very first point I, w- I want to tell you about God's grace. God will often, in his grace, allow you to exhaust yourself. This young man, now his father did not have to give him his inheritance. If Macy came to me today, now she's four, so it's highly unlikely, but I will tell you. If she came to me in day and said, Daddy, I want all my inheritance right now, I would tell her, I ain't got a dime. I ain't figured that out yet, baby. <laughs> but even if I had it, I'd say, no, you go to your room. I'm going to beat the snot out of you. Why would you ask me such a question? His father didn't have to give him his inheritance. But he did. Gave him everything. And he went out and he spoiled all of it on what the Bible calls this wild living. And in the Father's grace, he allowed this, his son, to exhaust himself on things he knew would never be fruitful. Think about that. Many of us wonder sometimes how we ended up where we were. Where we are, some of us this morning, you might say, how did I get here? And I would tell you, I think God's letting you exhaust yourself out. You know why? What happens? It diverts our attention towards him. All of a sudden, we need him now. And we didn't know we needed him before. And that's what happens to his son. Even Romans 1 um, Paul writes about how God will eventually give us over to our sinful desires. God will just give you over to it. Why? Because in his grace. Now, some of us would say, oh, that's hateful. What kind of God is that? I would say in his grace, he's allowing you to see you cannot do it. 
So if you've come here today thinking you can check all the boxes and you've figured this thing out, I've come to tell you, you have not. I don't care how long you've been serving the Lord. You have not figured it out. Some of us have tried to, some of us have this idea that more of what we have will make us happier. <laughs> hey, look, I'm guilty. If I can make some more money, if I, now I don't know if food falls into this category, but, because uh, there's a lot of joy to be had after the service today, but maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a promotion. Maybe, but we somehow think the more of what we already have, the only, the only arena that works in is Jesus. The more of Jesus you get, the better it gets. But I can tell you the more money you get, the more you spend. Tell me I'm lying. Prove me wrong. Well, this kid finds out the hard way. Okay? Finds out the hard way. And just like... God, in his grace, allows us to exhaust ourselves. It's because it will often send us to a response. And this is the response. And this kid finds it. It's, it's i got to go home. i got to go back. Verse 17. Read this with me. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Man, I have been here where I'm prepping the speech. Have you, been, have you ever had to prep the speech? You've got to break the bad news. You know you are going to look terrible. And so you're just like, okay. How can I explain that I've wrecked my car because I wasn't looking at the road? I was checking out this lady on the sidewalk, and then all of a sudden, here I am in the ditch. This was in high school, okay? This wasn't last week. Look, my wife's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's okay, baby. This was, this was a while back before I met you. <laughs> Lo loosen up, folks. Golly. A religious crowd in here today. <laughs> but I have practiced the speech. I, I, I'm pretty sure I've remembered doing it for my wife. I've really fouled something up now. Oh, I remember once. So me and my wife. Why are y'all laughing already? Listen. Me and my wife and Macy go to Walmart. Now some of y'all remember this because we were here. All the floors in Walmart are concrete. Right, so my wife goes off to look at some stuff, and Macy refuses not to touch things. So I put her down in the cart. I'm like, you stay here. Well, so I'm, I parked over here because I'm going to make some fudge. I'm really excited about this stuff I'm going to make. So I'm in the bacon aisle. Macy leans, is leaning out of the cart, grabbing at brownie boxes. She's like just raking them in to the cart. I'm like, I'll fix this. So I pushed her out in the middle of the aisle. Now you won't get any more brownie now. I've outsmarted my two-year-old. 
So I turn around, I go back, I'm over here doing my thing. And then I hear, boom. And I turn around and my daughter is laying face first on the concrete at Walmart. Now, immediately, my mind started to say, okay, how am I going to explain this one? I started talking through the story. I've got my, now, it ended up, I mean, she really walloped that head. I don't know, some of y'all remember that big old gasmo she had. Gasmo's not a word, I just came up with that. It was right here on her head. Yeah, a long time. Look, that girl from then on, I think it's just bigger now because she snags it on things. Uh, it's permanently just kind of folded up. There. I mean, she's still pretty, but... Uh, when she grows up, I'll have to explain it to her. <laughs> it's your father's fault. I'm sorry. But I remember doing the speech. Now, some of us have been away from church. Some of us have been away from God. Some of us have been coming to church and have been away from God. Just saying. And what I believe he's beckoning you to today is to come home. And immediately those thoughts start stirring about how I'm going to explain myself to God. How do I explain the things that I've said? How do I explain the things that I've done? How, how do I, how do I reckon, how, what am I going to say to him? For the sinners in the crowd that day, they're thinking, man, what is this going to cost me? What, what, what is this going to look like for me to be reconciled here, with, to, to come home? What does that look like? And the Pharisees are probably thinking, this guy needs to pay for what he's done. If he's going to come home, that father better make him pay. He's due some payment for the wrong that he's done. And this is where the story breaks into just scandalous craziness. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. And has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And I love this, so the party began. The, the script has flipped. The Pharisees are thinking, oh, get them, Jesus. Get them. Tell them. Tell them what they're going to have to do now. And those sinners with the weight of all of life's burdens and cares... Their wanderings and hurt and pain all of a sudden have vanished 
Because God delights in saving us. Oh, don't miss the joy here. Don't miss the joy. Who was listening? They're thinking, man, that this kid, by the time he gets home, his father is going to rip him a new one. This is it. It's over for this kid. He's going to have to serve. And look, look, this is what happened. When he was a long way off down the road, his father was looking for him to come back. Can I tell you that God is watching for your return? And while he was a long way off, he ran to him. And look, he even ignored his whole speech. The, The son came in and said, oh, look, I'm not worthy. He said, he ignored the whole repentance speech. You know why? Because he required no restitution. He's not going to make this man slave for years as a servant. No, 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 no. The father takes it on himself. He took it on him. He said, kill the fatted calf. Bring this guy a ring, which, which represented the authority the father had. Bring this guy my robe, the very best robe. It's as if it was all forgotten. As if it had never happened. God delights in saving us. Hear me. God delights in saving you. God delights in saving you. Oftentimes, if we could just get past our own worry about our own sin, I think we would show up to the Father's doorstep and and try and make this case when the case doesn't matter because he already closed it. Oh, oh, that we could understand today that God delights in saving us. And for the Pharisee, oh, they're caught off guard now. They're like, what does this mean? What do we make of this. And, th- and listen, it wasn't just a, a minor celebration here. <laughs> Verse 25 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, listen, he heard music and dancing in the house. Do you know how crazy a party has to be to hear the dancing? <laughs> Yeah, you've been that party. You probably don't want to tell me about it, though. (laughs) This is the celebration. This is the celebration. The son has come home. He was dead. Notice he didn't say he was just gone. He wasn't just on sabbatical. He he wasn't just on a trip. (laughs) He was dead. Now he's not. Now... In verse 25, uh, we, we see this older son make an appearance. And uh, it's, it's not the best appearance. And we always want to show grace to this young boy, but it's oftentimes hard for us to give grace to this older son. But listen, verse 26. Verse 26. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Man, this party is so loud. Have you ever had neighbors that were so loud? You're like, what in God's name is going on over there? Look, my neighbors just got all their kids out of the house. They've been throwing down. 
They've been having people over. I'm always at my living room window like. Oh, y'all aren't nosy? Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, y'all just come back and eat afterwards. Okay. Your brother is back, he was told, verse 27. And your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Now, the older brother, verse 28, was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Now, how do you know you're the older brother? Have you ever asked yourself that question when reading this? I, I was trying to figure out if I was the older brother or not. Oftentimes, I'll look at people who have been redeemed from grace and, 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 and look at the blessings God has had on their life and think, man, how did they, how do they deserve any of this? And it's especially interesting when people you know that have hurt you start to come to know the Lord. And then you look and think, all you see is what they've done to you. How many of us have ever just not invited somebody to church because of what they've done? Or I don't want them to go to church with me. <laughs> you should, they're pretty bad people. You know what I'm saying? You won't admit it, but you have. There have been people you, you should have invited to church you didn't. Um... And, and this is where the older brother finds himself. He's like, this guy doesn't deserve any of this. He's angry. And so his father came out and begged him, but he replied, verse 29, All these years, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast for with my friends. Have y'all ever done this? When I was growing up, I used to do this all the time. I'd be like, Mom, you won't give me a, a dead cat and you throw this, my brother, a big old birthday party that, that he doesn't deserve. He's a little snot. You won't even give me like a head nod. Have you ever done that? Okay. I have. I'll just tell you right here in front of everybody. I've looked at other people and said, Man, why you get treated so nice? I ain't got a daggone thing from you. That's what the brother's saying. Hey, you wouldn't even give me a goat. You've done killed the whole fatted calf for this kid. He ran out and spent all your money. He's angry. Yet, when this son of yours, <laughs> he knows he doesn't call him brother. <laughs> this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. Verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. Yeah. I think it's important to see here that everyone is invited to the party. Macy, here she comes again. I only got one. I'll have two next year. So come on back. We'll have more stories when McKinley's around. <laughs> Macy will throw a fit, a little attitude, because she got it from somebody. I'm 
amongst our marriage, and I don't know who she got all the sass from, but she remained nameless. She'll throw a little attitude, and you know what I'll say? You know what she'll do. She'll go over here and sit. And I'll say, hey, you just stand over in that corner. You can stay there. Yeah. Let's show her. You can just stay there. You pout. You just pout on your own by yourself. Father could have done that. He did not. Even in that older brother's hateful spewing, he went outside and begged him to come in. Everyone is invited to the party. And I need to tell you that rebellion looks different for everybody. We're, we're oftentimes so quick to say that rebellion looks like drug addiction or, or alcohol addiction or, or, or all these other like, like murder. Oh, he murdered somebody. Oh, he's rebelling against God. Oh. But yet we don't want to devote five to ten minutes to, de- to prayer. <laughs> rebellion against God takes all different forms. And we've got to be able to recognize it in our own hearts. And I will tell you, if you are under the sound of my voice, there is something in your life that is rebelling against him. You just haven't seen it yet. And you have to put it under submission to him. And the father's trying to bring his attention to it. Come in, sinner. Come in, self-righteous. Come in, come in, come in. Just come home. Whatever state you're in, he didn't tell him to stop being angry. And you know what? He didn't tell the son he needed to pay all that money back. He just said, come in. Come home. My grace is sufficient. My grace. If God could tell you one thing as you leave here today, he would tell you via his scripture that his grace is sufficient for the self-righteous, for the sinner. And as I get ready to close, it's sufficient for you. The coolest thing I saw in the scripture is that when he came home, there were two things that happened. One, he now had life. He went from being dead to being alive. And the other thing is, when we come back to God, we find life and identity, belonging. He found a place to belong. Now, I I can't speak to a lot of you that maybe have never been away from home. Some of us have grown up in church, so, so this might not make any sense. And like I said, rebellion takes different forms. So you can be in church every Sunday and still have your spirit rebelling against them. So... But I remember being far away. Carl remembers being far away from God and thinking that I could handle it all on my own. I've got this figured out. 
and, and wasting away like the whole time. And, and I'm not just talking about church attendance. Please don't miss this today. I am not talking about you should attend church every Sunday. God's going to make it all better if you do that. I, I, I think that that's important. I want you here every Sunday around the gospel being preached and God being worshipped. But I remember being far away. And I remember this specific psalm I read. And it was, it was a game changer for me. So I, I thought I would just read it to you. It's Psalms 103. That's what it says. In verse 10. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is great as the heights of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Hear, hear this today, for he knows how weak we are. If you've come in today and you, you're trying to put that facade on, he sees past all of it. That false strength, that false front. He sees how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are, on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and we die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been. But the love, hear, hear me today. The love of the Lord remains forever. But, but the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. As I close today, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to respond. And my heart aches for those who are trying to do this alone. And I want you to know that this is a place, Transformation Church is a place that you can call home. Man, we just want to love God, pursue Him, pursue, uh, let His word bear its weight on us in all forms. Man, if I could tell you some of the stories that sit around this room of God's grace that was abundant. Let's overcome rejection, drug addiction, cancer, heart disease, loneliness, depression. The grace of God covers all of it in an abundant way. It doesn't just cover it like, like, 
like I'm hoping when I swipe the card, I'm just gonna be able to fill up my tank just a little bit, right? It overflows. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed today, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit right now. I want you just to respond to him as he invites you home. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.